Okay, welcome to A Vague Knowledge of Everything. Today we are going to be talking with uh, Mark Sabinico and our topic will be, (laughs) sorry, I'll let you introduce yourself in a minute. Uh, Our topic is going to be nonprofits. Uh, So as always, I am Rosie. I'm Hope. And Mark, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you? Sure. Hi. Uh, Thanks for having me on. I'm Mark Sabinico. Currently, I work for Galveston Historical Foundation in Galveston, Texas, as the director of the Galveston Historic Seaport Museum. Uh, I got a long background in working for nonprofits at pretty much all levels of of basic employee upwards through management. And uh, I currently uh, serve on the board of directors of Tall Ships America. So kind of a large perspective of uh, nonprofits all over the place. Nice. I hope did you not know that? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm just yeah. here for the party, apparently. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, j- just for all of our listeners, uh, we sort of all know each other through, uh, Mark just mentioned he's uh, on the board of Tall Ships America. But the uh, the way that we all know each other is that we've all worked on tall ships at some point or another, and uh, and Mark still is, and the others of us aren't. So yeah, <laughs> we actually have all worked for the same organization at different times and sometimes overlapping, but we were never all three there at the same time. So, but we've all worked for. Are, are you the, the overlap one part of that? <laughs> uh, yeah, I've worked with both of you at, at Grace Harbor, and yeah. So, yeah, so yeah, we're going to be talking bridge. about, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll be talking about nonprofits today. And I, I also have a background working for a lot of nonprofits. All of us have worked for nonprofits. Uh, I think that almost all of the boats that I sailed on were nonprofits. So, uh, so that's been a lot of them. But for for me and for my uh, background, it's been mostly kind of the lower level, just kind of the nuts and bolts, making things work day to day. And that's kind of Hope's background as well. Uh, so, as we discussed, I do want to go through some history first so we can understand where nonprofits came from. Uh, so, if you just look up the definition of nonprofit, just for everyone to uh, have a jumping off point, it's a business that has been granted tax exempt status by the International Revenue Service or the IRS because it furthers a social cause and provides a public benefit. Uh, so that's the reason things like churches and soup kitchens and stuff like that are nonprofits because they obviously are doing something charitable for a public benefit. Uh, and then you also have a lot of educational nonprofits and things like that. Uh, but we'll get into a little more of that later. But the uh, the reason that organizations like that came about, uh, it kind of started in the progressive era, uh, which was the 1800s through about 1920. There was a lot of increased social activism and political reform. That's where we get child labor laws, suffrage for women, uh, great things. Also got prohibition, which maybe not a great thing and also probably didn't work. But, you know, mixed bag. (laughs) Uh, But at that time, there was also an increase in prosperity, which is because of all the industrialization and the money that was being made. Uh, And at the turn of the century, there was also an increase in charitable giving. Um, Andrew Carnegie was one of the big guys for that. He uh, put out a book called The Gospel of Wealth in 1889, which promoted the idea that he uh, that, that if you have a lot of wealth, you owe a duty to society and a duty to donate to causes, which um, would be super nice if people felt that way today. Well, some do. Um, <laughs> some do. That's true. So some people do. Uh, and there's a, bit, a quote from Andrew Carnegie that I wanted to put in there. Um, What he says is the man who dies thus rich dies disgraced. So basically he believed you should give away your money. uh, And that was 
was kind of a big jumping off point for donating to nonprofits and social causes. Um, so up through World War II, uh, all of these things sort of continued to happen and needs continued to arise. Uh, the creation of the USO was a collaborative effort between some different charitable organizations. Um, so that's pretty cool. And that's basically what they do is a lot of stuff to support the troops. Um, so there's nonprofits involved in that. Uh, the 1970s civil rights movement uh, and the re resistance to the Vietnam War um, also were kind of a big thing that pushed forward some tax reform. The Tax Reform Act gave us uh, what we all know today and what we've all heard a lot, which is the 501c3 status. Um, if you've ever been asked to donate to a nonprofit or something, you will know that there is, uh, they usually put in if they are a 501c3. Um, and what that means is that they are tax exempt, which means your donation is tax exempt and also that the organization isn't having to then pay taxes on all of these donations they're getting, um, which is great because then it means most of your money is actually going towards that cause as opposed to, you know, going to other taxes. Uh, and in there is another like sort of basic thing that was uh, interesting in history. Uh, in 1976, Congress passed a bill that allowed nonprofits to spend up to one million per year on lobbying efforts, um, which basically means that a lot of nonprofits have some form of act activism or something involved. So they get to play a little bit of a political part, but not a huge one. So this is our basic history, which is kind of cool because I didn't really know a lot about that. What do you got, Hope? I just want to interject real quick with two things. One, uh, it's interesting hearing other people talk about Andrew Carnegie because he was a big Pittsburgh like mogul kind of back in the day. And everyone else outside of Pittsburgh pronounces it Carnegie, but we all say Carnegie. So that's just a little all right. cultural tidbit that's good for to you. Know. And then... Uh, Social work as a profession started in the progressive era as like advocacy groups and all the stuff that you were talking about before. And then earlier this week in my Thursday night class, we were talking about social workers role in nonprofits and like fundraising and that kind of stuff. So it's interesting. That this is all happening in the same week. So I'm on board. I know about this stuff. Um, but we had to do a lot of like history about social work before we even delved into like social work for right now. So pretty interesting. Cool. So, so as we talked about in the in the beginning here, uh, that a nonprofit has to give some sort of public good. Um, so let's give examples of what that is, um, and let's start with with uh, Mark if you want to talk about. So, what is the public good that uh, the Galveston Historical Organization, or sorry, Foundation? Is it Foundation? Yeah, it's Galveston Historical Foundation. Okay. Um, um, yeah. So, so what is the the public good or uh, the causes that they're involved. Sure, in. <laughs> and, and let me let me swallow it in some spider web because uh, I think it's good for context. So okay, uh, along the lines with nonprofits, for all the reasons that Rosie just mentioned, uh, the primary driver there is uh, one obviously the tax exempt status. So you get a break on your taxes. Uh, and ways that you bring in and redistribute money have to be a little different in order to meet with that tax code. And, and most of what nonprofits are has to do with the tax code. Yeah, I was actually planning on us talking about yeah. that later when we talk and, about and the rules and stuff. We can dive into that later for, for where that is. So 
Yeah, I just wanted to have like a jumping off point to say like, this is a nonprofit and this is what we do, like, like sort of generally. Yeah, but so, so out of that, in order to, you know, keep yourself straight as, as a nonprofit, especially a good nonprofit, which I do believe Galveston Historical Foundation is, is to have some form of mission statement. Mm -hmm. uh, and then that mission statement is your guideline for how you operate your business. So I should have been more prepared and should have downloaded GHF's exact mission statement. And you can That's find okay. it. On the we have a website. We can put yeah, it on we, our website so we can we, link it up. We could pull it in there for that. But, you know, if you look at GHF's mission statement, it's about preserving the history and cultural significance of Galveston. And there are specific points in there uh, that, that highlight all the things we do. So there's the shoreside based parts of Galveston Historical Foundation, which is the history, the buildings, the maintenance and preservation, and then the maritime uh, aspects of the foundation, which is my department. And then the connection of all of that for sort of a cohesive preservation of Galveston's history, how to keep it preserved for future generations to see it and to explain that story uh, going forward. It's a really neat thing that a lot of foundations do for that purpose. Cool. And I, and I actually asked you that because I wanted you to put it sort of in your own words, because I think a lot of people, when they think about nonprofits, are thinking about things like, like charities where you donate to something and it's fighting cancer or like whatever it is. It's something that's very sort of cut and dried and you can see exactly what it is. Whereas something like a historical foundation, which I think is the sort of nonprofit that most of us have worked for the most, uh, <laughs> is uh, there's a little bit more sort of nuance to what that is. And the cultural preservation and history education tends to be what a lot of it's about. So I just kind of wanted you to talk about that a little bit so that we understand that not all nonprofits are going to look the same. And so it's very interesting to kind of look into what each one's doing. Sure. But, yeah. Um, so, so as you were kind of talking a little bit about uh, the tax exempt status, uh, let's get, go into what are sort of basic rules that uh, nonprofits have to follow. Uh, so in order to get that tax exempt status, uh, usually an organization is founded as a nonprofit. Um, and the rules that I've sort of found when I looked around was, A, they have to keep really good records. Uh, they have to keep minutes at meetings. They must set up separate bank accounts. Uh, they, oh yeah, and, they, and the, the money that they make goes back into the organization. Um, so can we talk about sort of uh, what record keeping requirements are required. I know it's such fascinating. No, no, I, I, but. I think you can. I think, it, I think it is interesting because I think, as you said, it helps uh, people decode a lot of the myths of uh, nonprofits. I, I like that you said that. And we can get you can get as dorky as you want on your own time. It's 26 U.S. Code 501, which is the exemption from the tax code. Uh, and that's going to spell out all the bullet points you have to hit if you want to make a submission to the federal government that your organization will be determined as a not-for-profit. And the 5013C, which we're all used to, is not actually the only nonprofit status. There's, there's a 501B, there's a 501 yes. There's a couple of variations there. So, so you, you got to pick your poison, so to speak, which one you're going to do, which one you're going to follow. And then so to get that, you have to, you have to apply following those requirements that are set out by the feds and your state will have probably some variations in what your nonprofit status is. 
And then you're going to put together uh, your governing body, which is uh, usually a board of directors of some form. Uh, they're not a sole source company, you know, like I, Mark Savinico, do not own a nonprofit. It would be a, a board of directors with someone as a executive director, however you're going to structure your employee. But, but just to clarify, the board then doesn't own the nonprofit. That's correct, right? No one owns the, the Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's right. It's not owned. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, and there, I think some people think maybe that some nonprofits are owned like by the state or the federal government or something like that. So that is something I wanted to point out is that uh, non-ownership is a big part of nonprofits. Yeah, it, it is. And it gets messy because you got to deal with all that <laughs> regulation there. For for those of us that tuned in to our names because they're in the shipping industry, you got to remember the American Bureau of Shipping is a not-for-profit. Yeah, there's a lot. And there's some really big ones that I have written down we can talk about. They're huge, right? You know, but they're they're all structured around that, like you said, they're providing some service or some form of public good. So, I mean, you have to track uh, your income and your expenses like you would any other business. And a nonprofit mm -hmm. runs almost exactly like any other business does. Uh, there aren't any particular rules for how you keep track of the money you got in, the money you got out. I mean, you're going to track that you're not paying sales tax. Mm -hmm. and the taxes you have to pay as part of the corporation will be slightly different in the structure as opposed to a for-profit. But then a lot of the other taxes you wind up paying are other parts of the business, such as employee tax or uh, federal minimum wage or state minimum wage. All that stuff is the same all the way across the board. The only real irregularity that happens in the not-for-profit world is when you get into restricted funds. And restricted funds are those where you're specifically given a gift from either another corporation or another endowed group or an individual donor. And they say to you, I'm going to give you uh, $100,000 because I want you to take Bubba Smith's home and I want you to keep it alive for the next 10 years. And I'm going to write some conditions onto the money that I give to you. Then that has to be set up as a separate fund. And it has to follow the rules, again, in the tax code of how you deal with restricted funds versus general operating funds. But the operating funds for a nonprofit are almost the same as a, a regular for-profit business, excepting you can't turn that money into personal gain. Yes. And so how, how does that, um, how does that affect things like, and this is just something that I was curious about as I was reading through, how does that affect things like giving raises to employees? Like, is that, is that something that makes that murky or is there some sort of legal distinction that sort of uh, allows you to do that without it being a point of contention? Yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing that makes it murky about giving uh, employees raises, uh, competitive salaries, uh, mm -hmm. paying fair market wages. All, all that stuff is all covered under federal and state laws. Great. What, that's good. What a, what a for-profit business might do is if at the end of their year, they made $500,000 more than their target goal. They might have written into somebody's contract, if you help us do this, you'll get a $100,000 bonus. 
right? They, they, they can take mm-hmm. some of that money and they can profit off of it or they can spin it off and give it in shares divested into the company. Different ways that you can feed your investors or other people that are part of your corporation additional funds that you've made. Mm-hmm. In a nonprofit, you're gonna you can make money all you want. That let's just blow that one right out of the water right now. <laughs> yeah, not absolutely. Profit does not mean you cannot make money. Yeah, you, you can, absolutely can make money. A lot of them don't make a lot of money, but right. they are allowed to. Well, and some people get confused because they think they're not allowed to run it as a business model. Like you're you're not allowed to sell uh, pirate swords in the gift shop. Mm-hmm. All that is false. <laughs> You can make all the money you want. And, and the idea is to feed that money back into the program. And if that means you need more staff or the staff that you have needs to make more money in order for you to keep the staff, if the money you are making helps you pay your employees more per annual in order to encourage your program, that's all part of the deal. That's all legal. Absolutely. And of course, Hope and I know that. But yeah, that's definitely something that people, it is a pervasive myth that nonprofits aren't allowed to make money. Which is crazy. And because and, and, nonprofits should run like businesses. You, you should yeah, not well, run and, a nonprofit thinking you shouldn't be making money. There, There is nothing wrong mm-hmm. with like having a gala on the weekend or, you know, selling beer on the dock. We do a lot of that at Galveston Historical Foundation. We make, we make about 75 to 80% of our revenue. Nice. From, I, so so l- little side note, I was definitely told at one of the nonprofit organizations that I worked for that I wasn't allowed to buy cooking wine because we weren't allowed to buy alcohol because it was a nonprofit. And that was a lie that a lot of people believed at that organization for a long time. Like there's, if someone tells you there's this specific weird rule because we're a nonprofit, they might've made that up. Like that might be something that never was real and they just sort of assumed because, you know, of course, nonprofits are. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, laws will be state by state always. Uh, Absolutely. But a lot of times uh, for TABC organizations or ABC organizations, alcohol and bureau control for us, it's TABC because it's Texas. I'm just so used to saying that Um, Mm -hmm. there's special, uh, permits for nonprofits. Because you are a nonprofit status, you can sometimes more easily get a permit to sell beer and alcohol over a weekend event or run a small kind of kitchen or bake goods sale without having to conform to some of the same uh, food and beverage handling requirements because you're considered a a one-time permit for a one-time kitchen. So there's a lot of things you can do to increase your business. uh, That's not just, please, sir, can I have a dollar? You know, Please endowment foundation. Can I have, you know, a hundred thousand dollars? There's lots of ways you can make your own revenue. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to hear about like beer and alcohol restrictions because all of my, any experience up until like last August was everything was in Pennsylvania, which has very Quaker. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure in PA there's probably some rule that says we're not allowed to, but. Right. But like, (laughs) I wouldn't know any different. It's weird to me that like there's less restrictive laws where I live now. Cause I've only ever lived in a place where it's like very restrictive with their booze and alcohol. So I'm curious about how that would have translated in the PA mm-hmm. nonprofit world. Cause it's probably very annoying. <laughs> it's always so much fun to tell people from like, from States that had uh, laws 
that came from, you know, Quakerism or Puritanism that, you know, oh, if you go to California, you can just go to a Rite Aid and get, you know, a fifth of vodka. (laughs) You know, it's such a strange thing. And that's a side note not to do with nonprofits. It's just I'm from Maryland, which is was blue law for a long time, not quite as restrictive as some of the Carolinas or further south. But there was no alcohol sales on Sundays in Maryland until the 2000s, I think. There's no Sunday alcohol sales in PA now. And then not only I, that, I wonder if nonprofits could though. <laughs> I don't well, we have we should look it up. I think we definitely had boozy parties on Sundays at the place where we worked. Yeah. But anyway, but, but we digress. Uh, but actually, <laughs> so so you're talking about uh, ways to make money, and that feeds in perfectly to something else I wanted to talk about, uh, which was I kind of want to address uh, how nonprofits get their funding. Um, and I do. I have some more. I have some numbers and and stats that I'm going to link up to the website. But I think that one of the the myths that kind of surrounds nonprofits in general is that they get a lot of their funding from the government. Uh, And that's not, that doesn't tend to be true for almost anyone, (laughs) you know, like they're like, Oh, they have plenty of money. They're a nonprofit. I'm sure they get lots of donations. And it's like, no, a lot of donations tend to actually come from donors. So uh, do you have any idea of like what percentage of donations you're maybe getting from individual donors? Or if you don't, that's fine. But Uh, for, for the specific foundation I work for now, Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we, in a ballpark way, we actually raise, as I think I said earlier, somewhere in the neighborhood of 70 to 75% of our revenue. We earn it ourselves. Yeah. Very unusual. Yeah. And I think that's actually, yeah, I, I think in the tall ship industry, maybe it might be a little more usual because I know that I've worked for other organizations that aren't getting a lot. Uh, obviously, nonprofits can apply for grants. But that yeah. doesn't mean you're necessarily going to get them. And and honestly, if you want grants, you usually have to employ someone else to help you get them. Yeah, so uh, there, specifically grant writers. There there is funding out there for all types of different causes. Um, if you're not a nonprofit that's fighting cancer, you have a steeper curve to go up. And I mean, I think that's for good reason. You know, yeah, you know, there's nothing wrong with a lot of that. Uh, fund and federal and state funds going towards things of those nature, you know, curing diseases, fighting hunger, all, all the things that are essential services that nonprofits fill the niches for. But yeah, grants um, requires specialty skills uh, and the available funding is slim. If, if you look at a pie graph of charitable giving for like 2018 or 2019, somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, half or more than half of the causes that are charitable giving will be uh, religious organizations and education. Mm-hmm. That'll that'll bind up almost half, if not more than half, of that pie graph. Um, and oh, I do have some uh, some stats here. I just wanted a second to look them up. Uh, yes, yeah, so according to councilofnonprofits.org, and I'm specifically on a, a page that is uh, the myths about nonprofits, uh, which I will link up to our website. Uh, it says that the average, and this is probably talking about um, like things that raise money for cancer as well as nonprofits, uh, like the one that uh, the ones that we've worked for. Uh, but it says the average is that 49% of the income is private fees for services, which is th- you know things like when people pay for you know going sailing on a tall ship or something like that. That falls into that. Uh, 31.8% is government grants and contracts. Although again, this is such a, it's also including 
the ones that are raising money for things like cancer, like you said, that is going to get more. Um, so it's not necessarily indicative of all of the other nonprofits around. Um, then, And then the other ones are all just very, very small pieces of the pie. So it was like grants were a big part, but it seems like just... Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, money for services is a big thing. So you have to do things and sell things and run it like a business in order to get a lot of money. So yeah, a little so those are those A B C D E F G. I always joke that nonprofits are the biggest multi-tentacled octopuses. They try and have one arm in every jar they possibly can to get as much yeah. funding as you can. And one thing I've I've noticed about a couple nonprofits, and I don't know if it's a trend, but I've noticed that the ones that seem to get a lot of money handed to them in the beginning kind of struggle a little bit later on because that money's suddenly not coming in anymore and they don't have a stream of revenue, which I mean, yeah, it re really just speaks to that uh, understanding that you can run it like a business and you probably should if you want it to make any money and <laughs> well, not make money if you want money to put back into the organization. So. Yeah, I you know, there's a lot of nonprofits that get started for great causes uh, and there's no business plan at the outset. It's a, yeah. you know, we'll get grants, we'll get, you know, someone from the uh, Super Billionaire Foundation in our neighborhood city will support us. And um, the swell of nonprofits and the asks to those charitable foundations has grown exponentially over the last 20, 30 years. And it's a pretty competitive market. Yeah. In the 60s and 70s, there were definitely some big endowed foundations in the Texas area that were handing out big sums of cash to nonprofit organizations, usually based on a individual donor relationship. Like, you know, somebody happened to know mm -hmm. uh, Starbucks McBucks, who was the heir of said foundation, and that person had the ability to just, you know, write checks. And most of those foundations realized, you know, pretty quickly that's a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. And they pretty much all charitable giving foundations have structured themselves as uh, they have their own little board of directors that is usually staffed by someone who's paid to take in the request from various nonprofits and then make decisions upon who they're going to support. So a good nonprofit spends a lot of time uh, showcasing that they're meeting their mission, that they're using the funds for what they say they're going to be using them for. And uh, you can look a bunch of that stuff up if you go to some of the websites, like Charity Navigator is a big one. They're, they're Charity like a, Navigator. They're, they're like a BBB for uh, the nonprofit world, a better business bureau. Uh, and you get a rating uh, based upon how transparent you are. Are you showing your 1099s? Are you, you know, giving the feedback back to the greater giving community that you're, you are what you say you are and you're doing good things with the money you're being given? Because people have a choice. Ooh. That's that's a really great resource. So I'm going to look that up after the podcast. And I do put up a blog post that has resources from each podcast so that we can show our transparency of where we're getting our information. Uh, but I also like to sort of, you know, signal boost some things if we can. I'll, although, of course, we're fairly new podcast, so <laughs> not getting boosted very far, but a little bit. Uh, All so, 25 yeah. of those people want to know about Charity Navigator. <laughs> True. Yeah. So Charity Navigator, we will have a link to that uh, on our website and you'll get to check it out. Okay. We can talk about benefits and disadvantages of being a nonprofit. Access to grants is, of course, uh, a benefit. Uh, but as we just talked about, 
sometimes they, they're very hard to get and all that. So we did go over that. We talked about the tax exempt status. Uh, I just have a couple other written down here. Um, credibility is listed on one of the websites I looked at and it literally is like, yeah, if you're, you know, if you are uh, assessed to be a fitting of the, the 501c3 or other status uh, as a nonprofit, then it definitely does give you credibility. Let me see. There's two more postal service discounts, apparently, apply to some nonprofits. I did not realize that. So always good stuff to know. Uh, and then there's something called limited liability protection, uh, which means that directors, officers, and members cannot be held personally responsible for debts and liabilities, uh, which I feel like must go into a little bit of that non-ownership uh, arena about since no one owns it, we can't be held responsible for its debts, I suppose. But uh, yeah, probably interesting. Probably in terms of <laughs> finance, and you, you'll want to do some of your own research for that for the federal code and for your state code. But mm -hmm. uh, you can still be liable for some of the decisions uh, or actions that occur based upon what the nonprofit is doing. So all board of directors carry director and operators insurance. Really, uh, and you wind. I up didn't realize that was a thing. Huh. Yeah, if you're if you're going to join a nonprofit board of any kind, if you make it in your career where somebody comes to you and says, you know, would you like to join this board of directors for the local seafarer center or something else with various other things that I've been involved with, you should always ask, you know, what the time commitment is, of course, what the monetary commitment would be, and are is the organization mm -hmm. in or has any current pending litigation against them. And do you have directors and operating insurance? Huh. Wow, that's really good to know. Yeah. I, I, I suppose I wouldn't really think about it. You wouldn't really look into that initially if you weren't warned. But yeah, it's definitely something good to know. I didn't realize that that insurance was a thing. I'll have to do a little more research and, and maybe, maybe link some of that up so that people can look into that on the website. There's lots of nonprofits that are started for great causes uh, that, you know, don't look into all the particularities and a lot of them have a small operating budget or a small overhead you know maybe you're only oh yeah fifty thousand dollars a year a hundred thousand dollars a year but some nonprofits are turning through millions of dollars a year yeah that was another one on the the myths that I was looking at on council of nonprofits.org it's uh, that they one of the myths was that uh, uh, nonprofits have to have low overhead. Like you can't possibly spend money to be able to make money for this cause. That's not true at all. No. Like <laughs> you absolutely can. Oh, let's talk about volunteers a little bit because I forgot to mention that earlier because a lot of nonprofits do function with many volunteers, particularly some of the ones that we've worked with. Um, and I think that kind of feeds into the idea that maybe they have to for some reason or that that's like, yeah, that that's required of them. So do you want to talk a little bit about your volunteer program and how it functions? And um, yeah, as a nonprofit. You, you mean that you have to have volunteers in order to be a nonprofit? No, 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 you don't have to. I, I'm just saying, yeah. uh, let, let's talk about how volunteers are really helpful and useful for nonprofits um, and why nonprofits use them, even though they don't have to, is what I mean, I suppose. Yeah, sure. So you know, for me, the Historical Foundation has a huge tier of volunteers for all the varying events that they produce, historic tomes, tour of homes, uh, Dickens on the Strand event, a couple other events throughout the year. 
Then there's another, you know, integrated group of folks that's specifically focused on training and sailing the tall ship Alyssa, which is something you guys are pretty familiar with. It, it, yeah. it, it the Alyssa program is the one that sort of like <laughs> spewed <laughs> out into the United States in the seventies and, and helped a lot of other, you know, programs get going. And so it's a challenge, but volunteers really can help carry the burden of a nonprofit. They can do the basics from helping you clean up the site or more complicated parts of helping run the organization, filing paperwork, uh, leaning on people that have backgrounds in legal or uh, infrastructure or architecture or you know any of those components. You can tap into that big pool of resources. And I think the key is to clearly manage expectations and return of uh, um, reward and service. And a lot of nonprofits and a lot of volunteer organizations honestly do a bad job at stating yeah. at the outset, uh, this is what it means to be a volunteer for this organization. And this is how it will be organized. This is when you'll show up. This is what you'll get done. Uh, and you have low retention when you do that. Um, and we strive pretty hard to be really clear at the outset. Uh, this is what you're getting into. <laughs> this is what we're yeah. going to be asking you to do. This is what but we're this is what you'll get out of you. it. Well, and, but this is what we're going to be asking you to do. Because it mm -hmm. is a mistake to think that volunteers are not also a different form of employee. Yeah. You are not paying them money in order to work on your property. But you, well, you should be paying them in something, right? There, there, there's a reason why they are there to volunteer with you. And so there needs to be a, a, a return on investment. And there also needs to be a little bit of HR that goes into that. You know, we do a code of conduct with our volunteers. You know, it's, a, it's pretty much like an employee handbook. It says, you know, we're not going to tolerate these things and you're going to follow these rules and there will be no harassment or sexual discrimination. And Everybody signs to that. Uh, whether they read it or not is not up to me. I mean, I tell them they have to read it. The, the form says they have to read it when they sign it. I think most people do when they volunteer. Um, but it really helps when you get into those weird situations where volunteers, where someone has shown up to work for your organization, but it really isn't working out. <laughs> and you have to have that conversation about, you know, do, do, do we understand why you're here volunteering? We want your help, but you can't act like this or behave this way or can't show up here at three o'clock in the morning, paint the wall pink. Like, Sorry, you just can't do that. That sounds no good. <laughs> I think we lost uh, Rosie a little bit. Yeah, it looks like Rosie's in a, she'll nope. be pinging. <laughs> uh, so I think- I, There you are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sorry, sorry about that. I've been having issues with the internet here and I'm not sure what happened. Um, well, but you froze on a concerned face. So for a good like, like 35, 40 seconds. It just looked like you were listening intently. Yes. And then I realized nice. it was frozen. Yeah. Rosie, can we talk real quick? I think you've told me this story where a captain got frustrated with a volunteer and then caught himself and was like, I just almost asked you to do stuff that like an AB should know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. That was, um, okay. It wasn't a captain. It was, it was our friend, Billy, who was, uh, he was the chief mate at the time. Yeah. Okay. And I, and I, and I was the cook and he, yeah, there we have, we have some very excellent volunteers and I feel like I can throw out this guy's name. So I'm just going to say, Pat Federici, you were doing an excellent job. So excellent that Billy was starting to talk to you like you were an AB and that was your second year. So yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So it definitely is 
if with volunteers you have to make sure that you understand since you're not paying them that they need to to receive some sort of um yeah, some sort of something in return. And that in return isn't yelling at them like they're an AB. So yeah, right. I thought that was a funny story. And I'm glad he caught himself because of course you have to do that. Yeah. It's but, a, uh, yeah, it's interesting with tall ships because we, especially with Niagara, like there's so many long-term volunteers that whenever you show up as a trainee, you actually are like relying on the volunteers. Pat Federici taught me how to do helm. Yeah. And like has talked me down from panic attacks and stuff. So like, they're very important to the Tallships community, but um, yeah. Yeah. And and I think volunteers are really important in uh, nonprofits in general, and especially charitable organizations and educational organizations and things like that. But yeah, I, I, I am kind of concerned when people, uh, you know, they, they go to a museum or something and they're like, oh, everyone's volunteer, right? It's like, well, no, no, you can have some volunteers, but you can pay people <laughs> like, like this is okay. But we, the reason so many nonprofits tend to have volunteers is because there's such a big mission to get done that you need more help. And I think that kind of can carry over into some idea that uh, all nonprofits are or should be staffed by volunteers. Um, it's more of a cooperative thing than that, and I, I think that I think that it's it's a it's good to to talk about that. Well, I've so. been involved with some nonprofits that don't have paid leadership, uh, mm-hmm. the or very minimal paid leadership. You know, it might be the the board of directors is trying to act as the board and the executive director. Uh, there was a nonprofit mm. I was involved in in town here, uh, and there's others all over the country where they're usually smaller nonprofits. Uh, they don't have the uh, cash flow in to pay an executive director, and they are usually relying on a manager or a part-time, you know, uh, key person uh, to run the business in the day-to-day. And and I find those tend to not run well mm-hmm. uh, because the, the the board just doesn't function that way. They have other jobs, they have other things that they do. Uh, they can't be there five, seven days a week deciding who's going to pay the phone bill or should we, you know, buy a new copier. And I I think I would make a strong case for there to be at least one or two key paid executive leadership positions in your nonprofit, even if the rest of your group is volunteers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't actually know if I've, I think I've worked at one organization where I was working on a boat and it was mostly volunteer. They still had paid leadership though. And I think that's, that speaks to what you're talking about where you need to have that in order to create and uphold that structure. Um, although, Hey man, shout out to that boat, Calmar Nickel. That was really, really well run. There's a lot of volunteers. So, Hey, good job. Um, but yeah. All right. So Let's see here. Let's uh, let's also talk a little bit about politics um, and sort of what a nonprofit's relationship is to politics. Do you have anything that you uh, any ex- uh, any experience with uh, sort of wanting to be involved in politics, and not being able to with a nonprofit, or is that just something that you guys stay away from completely? You're talking about like governmental yeah. politics. Yeah, like government or or state or local politics um, or uh, j- just anything that could affect the way that people vote, um, which seems to be very, very restricted for nonprofits. Yeah, uh, I- unless you're a nonprofit that is a get out the vote <laughs> nonprofit, which there are True. a lot of those that are that are geared towards that. I don't know of any 
particular rules that stop you from being associated or affiliated with uh, voting or party lines. Now, that being said, I don't know many. Non-profits. Might be more of just a self preservation rather than. Yeah, I don't know many brown profits yeah. that their goal isn't to uh, interact or interface with the elective process that do that, mainly because you would box yourself in a corner. Uh, yeah. And the idea of a lot of nonprofits, in my opinion, personal opinion, is to, again, back to feeding your mission statement. You know, and unless your mission statement is to advance the goal and the cause of party X, then you really want to keep yourself yeah. open to support and, you know, interaction with people that cross all politic lines. You tend to stay away from a lot of that. Uh, and you can, as kind of dovetailing back to the earlier conversation about funding, federal and state funding. Uh, if you align yourself politically because you think that's a way to get state funding, sometimes that can work. But then sometimes you are also beholden to the requirements of the funding that was given to you by the state or yeah. the government. And we see that in the tall ship industry in lots of different places and lots of other nonprofit uh, industries. Um, it can get sticky because that money is, sometimes has a lot of caveats that goes with it. Yeah. So, and it- yeah, and particularly with something that's ongoing, where if, if something is, if an organization or if a governmental um, body is giving you money, um, like not as a one-time thing, you can worry about that getting pulled as well, I'm sure. So that's, yeah, that, that's an interesting, it's just an interesting point I wanted to kind of explore. Uh, let's let's also talk a little bit about the idea of uh, large, the, like really large scale nonprofits, because I think that one of the other myths that people do tend to subscribe to is that nonprofits are like small, you know, like nonprofits are like a cat shelter or something like that, as opposed to the NFL, which used to be a nonprofit, you know, so there's, <laughs> there's really large ones. So I have a couple examples, um, which so today I learned that Ikea is a nonprofit, apparently. Really? Um, and it's real fishy. <laughs> if you look into it, <laughs> it's, it's really, it's I mean I'm just gonna I'm gonna flat out say it you know I'm just gonna be uh, controversial here I I don't controversial opinion I don't think Ikea should be a nonprofit. Uh, they if you look into their I, I've, I've read articles about them and basically all the articles say it's really hard to prove how their organization works and how the structure works because it's over several different countries they do some things for environmental causes, but again, it's pretty, it's pretty sketchy. It's very interesting. So I'm, that's one where I think it's a huge nonprofit that maybe, maybe shouldn't be. Uh, but there's another nonprofit that I wanted to highlight who are really, really big, but they actually do a lot of good things. And that's the Green Bay Packers. So uh, yeah, this, uh, this podcast uh, lo- looking for information for this podcast definitely made me a fan of the Green Bay Packers uh, because so they're a nonprofit, and the reason they became a nonprofit was because they were worried about the team getting moved to a more profitable locale than Green Bay, which fair. Uh, and so they made it into a nonprofit. Uh, but then since then, they've really, really embraced the charitable giving. Uh, and I'm actually going to link up their website because they have a bunch. They have a bunch of information about the stuff that they have donated to, and they also have. 
they also have a page that's really cool that uh, talks about their project and program focus areas. And so they say, like, for this year, we're going to work on. And so for, for 2020, the charities they're focusing on are have to do with the elderly, homelessness, human services, and hunger. And 2021, it's going to be arts and culture, athletics, and education. And 2022, it's animal welfare, civic and community services, environmental and health and wellness, including drug and alcohol and domestic violence. So they have all that stuff up there so that people can uh, I, I apply for funding and they tell specifically what they're going to do. And I thought that was really cool. So, hey, man, Green Bay Packers. Is it for you? you? I think, I think that speaks to, you can go back to the, the U.S. code, that uh, 26 U.S. code 501 that, that lays out what makes you uh, a not-for-profit. And if you read through that, there's lots of different ways that you can be qualified as a not-for-profit. It doesn't just mean, you know, charitable giving or that you do good or that you're a cat shelter. And that's how IKEA probably gets there. They, they have something where they meet the federal law that was passed. Uh, and so they're allowed to do it. Yeah. And so, so there is something, um, just speaking of that, um, there's a, the difference between non for, uh, nonprofits and not for profit. Yeah. Generally, what we're talking about when we're talking about nonprofits, uh, that is, there is going to be some sort of benefit to the public good involved in those, whether that's education or scientific research, et cetera, that kind of stuff. Not for profits, uh, they do put all their profits back or all of the money that would be a profit back into the running of the organization, but they're not required to operate for the benefit of the public good. So that can be something like uh, like a golf club, you know, sorry, not a golf club, like the swing thing, but like, I mean, like a club where people go to play golf, like a, <laughs> a, a country club, something like that. It's all going back there for the members and the people who... Uh, who make use of the organization. So it's they're not just hanging on to all that money or theoretically they shouldn't be. So so there is a difference between not-for-profit and non-profit, just yeah. if anyone is interested in that as well. Well, I just looked at uh, at our charity navigator because it was bothering me. And it says our mission <laughs> for Galvin Historical Foundation is preserve and revitalize the architectural maritime heritage of Galveston Island, which is, I got close. I was not quite succinct enough. Okay. Uh, but our total revenue that's reported here, which I assume is based on last year's 1099, is uh, um, for basically four million six thousand. Okay. Wow. Uh, yeah, we're one of the largest historical foundations in the country. Sorry, I'm just going to charitynavigator.org to take a look at it. We glossed over the NFL being a nonprofit. Can we go back to that real quick? <laughs> Yeah, and so I, I was also looking at the tax code here uh, as we were talking about, and it is, uh, it's right here in the top, see the, the list of exempt organizations, and it's uh, corporations in any community, chess funder, foundation, organized or operated, exclusive for religious, charitable, scientific, testing for public safety, literary or education, or to foster national or international amateur sports competitions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for the prevention of cruelty to children or animals. Yeah, I mean, they get paid, so I don't know how they follow up as amateur. They're literally called like yeah. professional athletes. That's the opposite of amateur. Yeah, yeah. so... But they're I, not I mean, anymore, I, right? No, they're not anymore. I, it was... Oh, okay. I want to say it was 2015 um, that they... I, I want to say it was 2015. Oh, I, I will definitely look it up and um, and I can I could record something about that later and add it to the end of the podcast. But yes, the NFL used to be uh, 
yeah, they, they used to be a nonprofit and they, oh, oh, maybe I actually, oh yeah, I have a long article about that, um, but I'm not going to read the whole article here because it's really boring to listen to someone read. So uh, yeah, <laughs> but I can, I can include some information on that and that'll be on our website at www.vagueknowledgeofeverything.com. Uh, but yeah, the NFL did used to be a nonprofit. There's a lot of big ones. Um, there's also one. So there's a, uh, an organization that we've mentioned on a lot of other podcast episodes that we've done. Hope, what do you think is another example of a nonprofit that's really big and it's across the country, it's across the world? What do you think? Oh, why you put me on the spot? Um, okay, Scientology. Wait. Oh, it's yeah. Scientology. Oh, no. Yeah, it's religious. Um, yes, but they, it's, they were actually... They were rejected uh, when they first applied for tax exempt status, and they kind of only got it after they exhausted the IRS with lawsuits. God, um, but they do have it now. Uh, but they put a lot of their money into buying real estate and doing all other kinds of things. So, hey, if anyone wants to learn about um, more about them and those practices and why they get to be a nonprofit, even though maybe they shouldn't be, you should listen to uh, the Fair Game podcast. And also, so. Leah Remini's series on Scientology is now on Netflix. <laughs> and I have been like holding myself back from just straight binging that for all day. <laughs> so, sorry, yeah. Mark. We, uh, it, it, okay. For whatever reason, the last few topics we've done, there's always been some sort of link to Scientology. Exactly. And we've also been discovering some, some horrors that have been coming out. So, Well, you know, so anyway. in America. So interesting. I just looked up the American Bureau of Shipping because I know that they're a nonprofit and they don't really do much with Charity Navigator. Uh, other than their mission statement to promote the safety of life and property, preserve the natural environment. You know, they were started in the 1860s, but they post their 1090, which is a reporting of holdings that you're required to do for transparency as nonprofits. Their net assets or fund balances in 2017 is 1,380,227,000. Wow. <laughs> wow. Oh my God. So they I might win. do with that number. <laughs> you can't. You can't even wrap your mind around that. Yeah. Hey, Hope, I, I looked up uh, Niagara on Charity Navigator, and it has a very good score. And uh, I has our mission statement out there. <laughs> the other day for class. <laughs> I looked it up oh, in class the other day. Yeah, it was like, uh, talk about uh, a nonprofit that you worked for or were involved with. And I was like, excuse me, I am very knowledgeable about this. <laughs> but I just looked up if the National Park Association was a nonprofit and they they're not but they have a National Park Foundation which is the nonprofit that's the partner with the National Park Service which is pretty neat. Yeah, and that's a fun one because there's um there's a lot of laws out there that enable you as a not for profit to yeah. run a for profit mm -hmm. business. Uh, and then your for-profit business has to be separate in terms of tax and holdings, but your for-profit business can make lots of money and can then give it to your nonprofit business. Let's now just, uh, is there anything else that you think would be interesting to talk about for nonprofits? Because sort of my main goal here was to, you know, dispel some of those myths that we talked about and to sort of give just a basic understanding of the structure. Um, we don't need to go into anything in huge detail because we can put all of that information up right. on websites. But no, something, I mean, I think you're, you're good. Something go that we ask our other guests that come on is what's something that you wish more people knew about in terms of nonprofits? Like what's something that you know about yeah. that you wish the general public 
had a little bit more knowledge about. I am 100% with Rosie's early statement about just how nonprofits are funded. And everybody knows that nonprofits ask for donations from individual members, but there is this overwhelming sense that, especially larger nonprofits, which I belong to mm-hmm. one now, uh, that we're just flush with cash, <laughs> you know, and that they don't need to bother to send a, a small donation or that, you know, the state gives us all the money we need or the federal government gives us all the money we need. Uh, and it is, it's a lot of work yeah. uh, in the nonprofit world in order to keep up um, all the donations you need. Sometimes you're on a shoestring budget. Sometimes you're doing something that really matters to you that you think is important to preserve the cultural good which is one of the main reasons that nonprofits exist. So uh, I, I think that, you know, it's important to understand that your support to your local nonprofit matters a lot. Yeah, it really, really does. Um, actually, uh, so I, I mentioned Niagara before. That's the organization that my uh, my husband works with where we met, where <laughs> I used to work as well. Um, and also our friend Billy, who we were talking about, who was, you know, the good example who, who uh, Hope pointed out, uh, is the executive director there. And my husband's the captain. And they organized uh, they organized a, a donation drive fundraiser uh, earlier this year, basically because they were, had to cancel their entire program because of COVID. Right. So the, and really, I, they had some big donations, but most of it came from small donations. And that that really, really helps. So, yeah. So the next time you donate something, do understand it really, really does help because if enough people do that, it will. Yeah, that's what I that was like the last thing I was doing before I left in like August. And it was like all those five dollar, ten dollar, thirty dollar. Oh, yeah. Were like, yeah, they right, you saw that. Up they stack up really fast. Like in the first day I was like, Oh my God, that's a lot of $5. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's going to, it's not like that's wasted money. That's going into something that's going to benefit that nonprofit, which will yeah. benefit other people. Your, your $5 donation really matters. That tagline that I think we get exhausted by sometimes. <laughs> we uh, sound like the NPR pledge drive. It is, it is, it is like every little bit helps. Drive. Yeah. Every little bit helps, you know, but, but I, I feel for NPR, man. I mean, they're they're out there hoofing it. Yeah, uh, they are. And, you know, those donations matter. I give to NPR, yeah. you know, full disclosure. I should probably start giving to NPR. <laughs> full disclosure, I give to NPR. I mean, just so everyone knows. <laughs> yeah, we all know that. <laughs> yeah, I got, yeah, that, you know, support right. your local nonprofit. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, it seems like we're about wrapped up. Uh, I do have some other things that came up from here that I'll probably look into and I'll probably make a little addendum and discuss those things a little bit more. But but yeah, I think we're about done. So we usually do a little bit of sign off and uh, Hope and I have a little thing that we say each time. So uh, I'm Rosie and facts matter. I'm Hope. And now that you know better, be better. And, and I'm Mark Vinico, and I think this podcast is the best. <gasps> Yay! <laughs> no, All right. 
Hello, everyone. This is Rosie. And uh, I we talked a little bit in the podcast about the NFL having been a nonprofit. And uh, there was some speculation as to why that was. So I did a little more research on it to give you a little bit of an explanation. I'm going to try to encapsulate it in a couple of minutes. But I will definitely link up some articles to our website uh, in the blog posting that contains the sources for this episode. Uh, so here is the short version. Uh, So in 1966, the NFL and the AFL were two separate entities, uh, and they wanted to merge, but because of antitrust laws, they couldn't. Uh, So effectively, that required Congress's involvement, uh, which resulted in Public Law 89-800, which effectively was made so that those two uh, organizations could merge. Uh, at the same time, the tax code was changed to give them tax-exempt status under uh, 501c6, which gives tax-exempt status to certain trade associations uh, like Chambers of Commerce, Boards of Trade, and since 1966, professional football leagues. Yeah, it wasn't a side effect of a law that was already in place um, or something that got put into place. It was specifically done for this purpose. Um, although I don't know exactly why, so I'll definitely be looking more into that, and maybe we'll do a show about it someday. Uh, but uh, anyway, so what I found is that a lot of their income actually, when they were a nonprofit, was taxed. Um, and I will say again, they are not anymore. Uh, but when they were, uh, the income that was actually taxed wasn't all of the money they got. It was the money that was going to the league office. Uh, so, for example, Roger Goodell's salary, which was $44.2 million in 2012, um, which was the most recent figure I found. Um uh, the most recent figure I found in the research I did, there might be something else uh, available that I just wanted to use as an example. Um, however, the the sources I looked at suggest that this is more of an issue of principle rather than a lot of uh, tax revenue gain because there probably hasn't been that much of a loss. Um, and I'll try to find some numbers and put that on. But the issue is that the NFL for a long time was treated as a trade association, but it doesn't act like one. Um, You know, you can't make your own football team and have affiliation with the NFL. So uh, effectively, that kind of gives you a little bit of history. It doesn't answer the why as well as I would like to, uh, but that will require more information. So, hey, maybe we'll do a whole episode about the NFL. Uh, But there's that. I also did link up uh, that bit of tax code that Mark was talking about if you want to get really, really uh, nerdy with it. And yeah, so that's about it. And thank you for listening. All right. Bye-bye.